Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And yesterday we just finished off with what in Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we are moving now into some healings that Jesus is going to do and some interesting revelations that Jesus makes in the process. So we are in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, where we read this. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the, high, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen such faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's a number of interesting ideas here. This is one of my absolute favorite Bible passages, favorite Bible stories. And uh, there's two ideas here I want to touch on. One is the idea of authority, and the other is the idea of, of worthiness. And on the first one, the idea of authority, you know, I grew up as a third culture kid. Some of you may have heard that term, others may maybe not. Third, cult, third culture refers to being raised into in a, you know, first culture is your home culture. And then sometimes our our host culture is, you know, the, the country that we grow up in is a little bit different than that. So that's second culture. And as a third culture kid, we're trying to navigate between these two different spaces. We're not really at home with either one. We're not really of our parents' culture. And we're not really, because of the strength of our parents' culture, we're not really of the host culture either. And so there's a blending of the two and a lot of uh, things that are natural for other people we have to be mindful of and, and, and learn to make decisions about that. One disadvantage of this is that it, uh, it, it can be very lonely when you don't have other people who kind of understand your perspective. Uh, and it's also a lot of work because a lot of things that just are assumed or come naturally to people uh, just because they just flow with the, the go with the flow. Um, as a third culture kid, you have to make decisions about a lot of those things. Some of the advantages, however, are that you become mindful of a whole range of nuances that are sometimes invisible to people for whom this is their home culture. It's kind of like uh, someone once said that a fish would be the last creature to be aware of water simply because they're immersed in it all the time. Uh, one way I experienced this was around this idea of authority. In my mom's Korean culture, I, I think was too authoritative, too hierarchical. This could lead to sometimes, um, you know, this idea of respect for elders could sometimes lead to supporting people uh, who were doing bad things simply because they were older in positions of power. But on the other side, I feel like American culture had too little respect for authority. There's this idea that kind of no one can tell me anything and I can even ignore institutions, even if they embody and collect the wisdom of you know thousands of people through the generations. There's this idea that I'm my own 
master in that sense. And I could, you know, uh, on a personal level, I could just never stomach the way some of my my friends would treat their parents, the way they would interact with them, the kind of disrespect that they would show uh, to their parents. And I think that uh, as Christians, especially if we, uh, as we become more of a minority, I think we can benefit from kind of a th third culture experience as we try to navigate a way of living that is different from the culture that surrounds us. And I think there's always a real danger if we identify too closely with our nation's culture, with the host culture, you know, you get create sort of like a, a nationalistic kind of Christianity. There's many, there are many ways that God calls us to live differently. And there's a lot of blessings that go with that. So th that's one notion here as we're addressing this idea of authority. But the idea of worthiness really strikes me because the, the Jewish elders really like this Roman centurion. He's, he's different than the others. He seems to really love the people and he's even gone out of his way to build them a synagogue. So, um, you know, centurions were, uh, you know, Roman officers were pretty well paid compared to other people. But even for someone like that, to build a synagogue would have been a significant uh, financial sacrifice. And so they think he's worthy. He deserves Jesus's attention. But what I think is really interesting, and I think this connects to the centurion's idea of authority, the centurion has a very different idea of his own worthiness. In fact, he says, I'm not only not worthy to have you come to my house, I'm not even worthy to go and meet with you in person. That's why I'm sending other people. He says, you know, I understand authority. I know what it is to be under authority and to have my own authority. And the implication is that he recognizes that Jesus has real authority, not just over soldiers, but over heaven and earth itself. He, he recognizes that Jesus is able to speak a word and things happen. And so he recognizes that if Jesus simply says the word, his servant will be healed. And it's exactly that which happens. And Jesus says, and this is really powerful, I think. He says, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. And you know, what does this, what does the centurion know of faith? From what we can see, the only thing he understands about faith is this idea of authority. And so there's a, there's the way in which I think it's implied that a proper understanding of authority, not my Korean culture, my parents under my mom's understanding of authority, or not the American, you know, uh, cultural understanding of authority, but Jesus's kind of understanding of authority that this centurion seems to to have is actually tantamount to faith itself. There's maybe like there's a if they're not the same thing, there's certainly a deep connection uh, between the two. Um, and I guess just beyond that, um, I think that the the centurion's perspective uh, where he he doesn't think that he's worthy of what Jesus uh, uh, can give leads him to be especially open to the idea of grace. He receives what Jesus gives to him, not as something he deserves or that he's entitled to, which is kind of how the Jewish elders were approaching this, but rather uh, this is something that is purely a gift. It's not something he deserves. And I think in many ways, when we receive what God has to offer as a gift, it makes us work, ironically, kind of work even harder out of gratitude than we would in trying to earn something that can only be a gift in the first place. So Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. Well, I think you brought up some of the super important points, uh, uh, but I, I want to kind of zoom out for a second and kind of see the the uh, the bigger story this is a part of. You know, Jesus had come to Israel as the fulfillment of literally millennia of promises that God had been making uh, and, and you know, promising to come, promising to bring healing, promising to bring salvation, promising to bring reconciliation. Um, but 
God's promises weren't only to Israel to save them. Going all the way back to Abraham, right? The, the, we, we know that Israel's whole raison d'etre, you know, as, as the people of God, was to be a light for the Gentiles, right? It's actually supposed to be good news for the whole world. And that's, you know, when Jesus is born, the angels don't just announce, you know, and, you know, good news for, for, the, the, for the people of Israel. No, it, this was good news for all people, right? That was this emphasis, like this is God saving the entire world. And so given that that was the original charge, right, to Abraham, the light of the Gentiles, repeated multiple times. We talked about it when we went through Isaiah recently, how that came up a number of times. The, the charge that Israel had actually to, to bring the, the good news about who God is to the entire world. And yet, strangely, this, this uh, very strong xenophobia had built up. Not for nothing, it, probably because they had been overtaken so many times by, you know, the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the, now the Romans. You know, I, that'll kind of get under your skin, obviously. And so I think there had been this real enmity towards outsiders. And it had developed a real us and them, not in a, hey, we've got to go, you know, care for them. But uh, those people are awful and evil and deserve nothing but bad. And so uh, as Jesus now comes... The people who are expected, they've been waiting for the Messiah. It's the Jewish people. It's for them. And Jesus, by doing several of these miracles that we're going to see him do here in Luke, by going to sort of, well, he goes to the wrong people. He goes to unexpected people. We talked about this earlier, how first he starts off with, with uh, you know, lepers and, and paralytics. We're going to see him do, do uh, uh, miracles for women and for, for Gentile women to boot, uh, you know, for Samaritans. I mean, you just... It's all the wrong people. But of course, Jesus is, in a sense, saying to the people of Israel, this was what the good news was supposed to be all along. It's supposed to be for everybody. And I think the centurion is not just a Roman. He's a Roman occupier. And he's not just a Roman occupier. He's the boss of Roman occupiers, you know? He, he's, a, he's a centurion. He's a leader. He's culpable if anybody is. And, and so the fact that Jesus would end up doing a miracle for him... He's a, you know, a really important story. But now, now a lot of us can see that. Wow, okay, that's amazing. Amazing. Jesus being willing to do something for this centurion. But this is a special centurion. As you pointed out, this guy clearly had a very different relationship with the Jewish population. Had, you know, paid for the, the uh, synagogue to be built. That guy's kind of unusual. Uh, I think there's a cultural piece that in, in this story that would have uh, been probably very apparent and maybe even offensive to the original Jewish uh, uh, readers of this story uh, that I think can get lost on us. So the, the, uh, the, the Roman officer's servant, right, who obviously he really cares for quite a great deal, uh, well, I don't, it doesn't really occur to me. In that culture, it was very common that these relationships would be sexual in nature. And so that this would actually be somebody who's very special to the centurion. I mean, how many of the centurions is going to watch people dying all the time? Well, what's this one guy? Well, it might be that they had a particular kind of relationship. And some people have used this to say, see, look, Jesus, you know, if in fact it was a, a homoerotic relationship, then, oh, look, even Jesus is affirming that. That's actually not what this story would say. Uh, I, I think that is irrelevant to that point. The story is the centurion right, who's offensive to Jews, and the same-sex man, the same-sex uh, attracted man who's 
you know, would be offensive to Jews, that, that these people nonetheless are receiving God's grace. And that God's grace, God's kindness, God's generosity is for everyone. Therefore, our generosity and kindness needs to be for everyone. We're called to follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, oh, Centurion, I'm so glad that you are oppressing the, the Jewish people. That's great. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Nor is Jesus necessarily making a comment of, about uh, same-sex relationships. What Jesus is doing is making a comment about God's own character, which is love for everyone and is undeserved kindness for everyone. I think that actually is kind of one of these pieces of the story that, that modern readers tend to miss, but that I think Jews would have heard that and go, I'm sorry, you did that for whom? Right? This is outrageous. And yet Jesus is saying, yeah, my love for people is outrageous. In your, your limited perspective, it's outrageous. And in fact, I'm calling you to follow me to have outrageous love. God's love is not like the, the human love where I love the people who are like me or I love the people who you know, think the way that I do or on my team. No, that is not what the love of God is like. And we've been seeing that consistently from Jesus. And I think this story really you know, puts it in over the top. Hmm. Yeah, like Chris and I talked about yesterday, uh, you know, Jesus prohibits judgment and then gives a, a number of examples of how to judge. And, and the difference between the two is that we try to judge in ways that excuse us from having to love people, whereas God judges people in ways and invites us eventually to judge people in those same ways in order to help people, in order to truly love people. So it's really a question uh, of love more than than judgment itself. And, and, and again, in this situation, uh, understanding things so that we can love people better. That's I, right. Dave, I think this is a really important message for us to take home. I'm wondering if you would pray that it would really sink in with us. Yeah, let's pray together. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit of love. God, pray that that Holy same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus would be in us. God, would your Holy Spirit be in us today? Lead us. Show us how to love the people around us, even the ones that we disagree with, even the ones that hurt us, even the ones that hate us. God, may we be like Jesus, more like Jesus. May we love. God, I pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. May God's love bless you and lead you in new directions today. Go in peace.